How many of you glad this morning that you got saved? Amen. There's one way and one way only, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. We come here week in and week out. We come to celebrate, to worship what the Lord's done. But you know, there are people out in the world. Let me ask you a question this morning. I want us to talk as we look at God's nature. We're looking at the sovereignty. We looked at a couple of weeks ago of God. We've looked at his justice and his faithfulness. And as we look at the justice of God, I want to ask you this question. Does God have the right to send a immoral, bigot, racist man to hell? Does God have the right to send a good man to hell? It's what I want us to look at today. Something for us to understand, something for us to contemplate is that very question, which is the title today, is God just in sending people to hell? And I believe for us to be able to understand that question, And for us to be able to answer that question truthfully, there is only one place to go, and that is right here, to God's Word. He uses the letters printed on this page that he inspired men to write for the sole purpose of revealing who he is to humankind and what his plan is. And I'm here to tell you today, before we even get started, God is a good God. God is a just God. And God has created everything that there is. And probably one of the most greatest attributes about God is God is a loving God. If you'll take your Bibles this morning and open to Romans chapter 10, we'll be turning to verse 5 in just a moment. You can go ahead and put your, your finger there as we look at today the idea of answering and wrestling with this. Because you know there are people out there who say what a horrible God it is that we worship because he sends people to hell. Some people say God don't send people to hell, people send themselves to hell. Some people say God's got the right to do whatever God wants to do because God created it and it's all his and as the master he has the right. But as believers when we stand on something, when we testify about something that we believe, we need to understand what it is that we believe, why we believe it and where that source comes from. Because the answer of just because doesn't work. You need to know what it is you believe. And that's exactly what Paul was writing to this sect of Jews, these Christians. He was writing to them to explain to them so that they would know and so that we today would know how wonderful God was. When he inspired these men thousands of years ago to pen words 
that were specific to those people, but yet they're specific and have application to us today. That's what I want us to look at. Would you stand with me as we read from God's word this morning? Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes leading to righteousness and with the mouth of the confessions leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him if they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, have they never heard? On the contrary, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and the words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? For Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and abstinent people. Father God, I, I just beckon into your presence this morning. Father, I pray once again, Lord, that you would remove all distractions. Father, that you would open hearts today. Father, that they would hear from Holy Spirit only. Father, that you would open our ears to hear you. And Father, in my weakness and in my flesh, would you help me step aside? Father, would you fill me? Would you anoint me to proclaim your message this morning? And Father, would you give us a glimpse of your glory through understanding who you are and Father, what you have done? And Lord God, I just pray everything in the precious the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Looking at this idea, is God just in sending people to hell? We, we need to understand what it takes to get to hell. And it's very simple. 
Actually, it's just as simple as what it takes to not go to hell. You see, to not go to hell, we have to receive Jesus Christ. To go to hell, all we have to do is simply reject that and not receive him. But if that's what it takes, then if we're going to look at this and understand what it is, then we need to understand, you know, if I need to receive Christ, is Christ available? You know, we could say all sorts of things about Christ. We might even need to think, you know, if Christ is so great and so good, can I even get him? And then do I have any choice about it? So that's what I want us to break down. The first thing I want us to look at when we're talking about the gospel, which is what it is required to receive the gospel, the birth, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. First thing I want us to look at is its availability. If we're going to look at the idea that God sends some people to hell and the only way to get there is rejecting that, the availability of the gospel. Let's take a look. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness of the law. The law was what God had given the Israelite people. Now, if you remember, those were the Jews. Paul is writing to those Jews, and he's saying about this righteousness of the law because they've taken it. God gave a law, and he gave this law for the purpose of showing people who he was, showing the requirements of that. And let's look there, the second part of verse 5. The man who does these things shall live by them. If we even could fathom the possibility of living by the law to gain our righteousness, here's what I want you to think about. To live by that law. It says man shall live by them the moment you're born till the moment you die. You have to live by every one of them. Is that even possible? One mistake, one wrong thought, just one. If you could live the rest of your life perfect, just one negates the whole thing. And I don't know of anyone who has ever lived besides Jesus Christ that was able to do that. It's not possible. So he's talking about two righteousnesses. Look at the second there, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What is he saying here is he's saying it's not by works. So here again, the law is out because the law is all about works. He's talking here and referring all through this. He's going back and forth to the Old Testament. Here he's referring back into Deuteronomy 9 when he talks about that. But what is he saying? If it was possible, he said it's available to you right here and now. You don't have to go up to None of us can go up to heaven and get it. None of us can go up to heaven and ask God about it. None of us can go down into the grave seeking it. There's nothing that we can do. It takes no magic, no mystic about it. 
He's talking about the incarnation and the resurrection. You see, it's not through our works. That's the reason it's not the law, but it's through faith. That's where we need to hear. Listen to this. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. He's preaching faith. That's very hard for these Jewish people that he's writing to. Because they've all been about the law. And what it was, keeping all of these laws and the laws that they've added. And now here comes someone saying it's about faith. You must believe. What is that? Very key verses. If you mark in your Bible, I'll strongly recommend you to highlight these, to underline them, to mark Romans 10, 9, 10, and 11. And I want to explain this because out of all of the Bible, this is probably some of my favorite, but some of the most profound words for the believer. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. He's not talking about two different things here with this heart and mouth, with believe and confession. They're two in the same. He mentions it the first way that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised you from the dead and a person believes in their heart, it's not the way, it happens first in the heart. A person is changed in the heart and with the mouth is confession. Now here's what's important. This confession that he's talking about here is not necessarily walking down the aisle and making a public declaration before the church that you receive Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of people who walk the aisle, have walked the aisle of a church and stood before people and say, I received Jesus Christ that never did. Again, that's an action. But what he's saying with this, as he says here, that if you confess with your mouth, that is agreeing and making the statement that you believe in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. It's very important church that we believe in the resurrection number one we serve a risen lord and savior amen number two the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead was another way of god signifying this is my son in whom i'm well pleased and that when he hung on that cross for that split second that he bore our sins that he had was resurrected is still god's son he never changed God is God. God will always be God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we have to confess this, and that takes something bold to confess. But what your mouth is saying must be what's within your heart. This confession to believe that Jesus is Lord. We use that word Lord today. There's lords of this and lords of that. But this Lord is the one true Lord. When we accept Christ, we surrender ourselves to him. He becomes our Lord and he becomes our Savior. I like how one gentleman named Cranfield puts it this way. For Paul, the confession that Jesus is Lord 
meant the acknowledgement that Jesus shares the name and the nature, the holiness, the authority, power, majesty, and eternity of the one and only true God. Jesus Christ is Lord. You're admitting he's the resurrected son. He is the only way there. You see, they're still debating over the resurrection. There are still those Jews over in Israel today that doesn't believe in the resurrection. It's the key point that changes all of history. Christ could have died on that cross, went in the grave, and stayed dead like every other person that's died. There's no one else out there that can even try to confess that they've resurrected from the grave. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not anyone else. But Jesus Christ. But here's what I want us to look at. It says that you've got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes. I know y'all are going to get tired of me saying this. We're not talking about the organ that's inside of your body that goes boom, 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 that keeps us alive. What have I told you before about the heart? It's the inner man. It's the center of who you are. All actions, all thoughts, everything originate out of the heart. It is who you are. If we could see your heart, it is who you are. So it says here that with the heart, a person believes. You've got to make God Lord. It's not about just confessing him. But he's got to be Lord. You've got to come to him and unwillingly just, excuse me, willingly lay yourself before him and say, Father, whatever you say, the answer is yes. Whatever you do in life runs through the filter of who the Lord of your life is. You are denying yourself when you surrender to him. Well, that's not easy to do. No, it's not. But let me tell you what. I'd rather surrender myself to a Lord who loves me than to stay surrendered to death because of sin. You see, God paid my price. I don't have to. He declares me as righteous. He says here, for with the heart... A person believes that's leading to righteousness. What is this righteousness? But it's actually a judiciary term. It's being in the right with the law with an idea of, excuse me, with redemption on it. So it says here that the person in their heart believes leading to righteousness. We can become right and in right standing God declares us right. Even though we've sinned through his righteousness. Through the bloodshed of his son. It says and with the mouth he confesses leading to salvation. We speak out, we confess. You know, when we talk about confession, and we talk about confession of sin, what is confession? But it is heralding out, making a statement that you agree the same as someone else says. So our confession leading to salvation is we are confessing that sin in our life is wrong. God says it's wrong, and that's all that matters. Our confession is saying that Jesus Christ is the only way. Our confession is agreeing with God that through the bloodshed of Christ, we can be redeemed and in no other way. 
We confess, we agree with God that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So on the availability, I want to tell you this right here because this is so debated around the world. The gospel, the good news, it's available to everyone. God didn't select a certain group and say, you can, you can't. God doesn't say that you've got to go this way or that way. We'll look at verse 11. For scripture says, whoever, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. And verse 12, for there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. God chose to run his bloodline, as we would call it, through the Jews. But he didn't say, hey, Jews, you come to me this way. Gentiles, you come to me this way. He didn't say that the whites come this way and the blacks has come this way. He didn't say that the Americans come this way and the Hindus come this way. The Lord is the same Lord of all. He says there's one way. And it's available to whoever, to everyone, exactly the same way. You don't have to jump through hoops. He's made it available. There's no distinction, he says there, between the Jew and the Greek. That would be nationalities. There's no difference. You know what? The Jew, God's chosen people, they sinned the same way the Gentiles did. You know what that tells me? You sin the same way I sin. We all sin. And we all come the same way, only one way, and that is through confession, the mouth, and believing in the heart. So if we have the availability, the second thing I want us to look at is if it's available, let's look at the receivability. If something is available, can we receive it? How many, you go online and you want to order something. First of all, you see, is it available? Do they have it in? And then you see, can you receive it? Is it possible to get it here? You know, maybe it's available, but it just can't get here. Maybe the snow is going to hold it up or for whatever reason, it's unavailable. But it's available. And the gospel is available and it's receivable. Look there at verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Now I notice you probably heard a repetition in there. But he actually writes it in reverse order. Listen to this. God must send the preacher. God has to send. Can't just go. God sends. Then there's a preacher who speaks the message. This is how you receive it. God sends someone. That someone shares the message. And then it is heard, the message, the gospel, the good news, the words of Jesus Christ are heard. And when they're heard, the Holy Spirit works in the heart and a person believes. And then when they believe, they're saved. The five points right there. Reverse order, if you look at the end of those, 
He's referring back again to Isaiah about the beautiful feet. You know, Isaiah was talking in his day to those as they were coming back to herald the return of those who were in captivity. But Paul is bringing it here, talking about beautiful are the feet of the ones who carry the message. But if you notice, that same word shows up in 11, 12, and 13. We see it in our translations as whoever, Lord of all, all who, and whoever. It's the same word in the Greek. Whoever, everyone, it's available. God calls and they hear it. But there was a problem. And Paul refers to that in verse 16. It says, however, they did not all heed the good news. It refers back to the Old Testament. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? That word report and the good news is the same, the proclamation. You see what Paul is doing with all of these references back to the Old Testament is he's saying these are not my words. They're God's words, and he's referring back to what we would have called their Bible, their scrolls that they had at their time. That's exactly what we do. For someone to hear the words of God, we must return to his word, and we must share with them his words. But it said there the fact that did that they did not all heed. It's receivable. God has sent it. God has sent people out there. So it is available, it is receivable, and third, there is a responsibility. Now here's where we come in. I was going to entitle this at one time, God did it all, because God did do it all. He created us, he gave the message, he provided the way, he called us. But we do have a responsibility, and Paul was writing there telling them, you know, not everyone heeded. But he knew when he would say that, Look there, he knew that some come 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the words of God. Well, he was saying, all right, now, here it is, it's available, everyone can receive it, but he knew them old tricky Jews, they're going to have some opposition to what he said. You know, how many times in our life do we we try to find a, a, a side way around? So look there at verse 18. He says, but I say, have they never heard? On the contrary, they have. Their voice has gone out unto all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What is he talking about? He said, well, maybe, just maybe if you say that if they don't receive you, you're going to go to Maybe they didn't have a chance to hear. Oh, I hear that day. There's people in the world, they don't have a chance to hear. Paul is talking here about Psalm. And let me tell you how God spreads his message. There are two forms of revelation of God. There is the general revelation. That means it's given to everyone. Everyone can receive it. Where do we hear of that? Let me read to you from Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. Listen to these first four verses as the psalmist David wrote. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech 
and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun. Nature. God's nature proclaims who he is. The sunrise in the morning, the sunset in the evening, the stars in the sky, the order of how things are. Everything in this world speaks to the idea of a design, of a creator. So he's saying, yeah, they've had the chance to hear. All they have to do is open their eyes. It's all around them. How beautiful we see in that sunrise. The stars, they twinkle at night. Those northern lights you see in Alaska. The beauty of it, but how seasons come and seasons go. Everything is orchestrated. It leads to one. And that one is God. The voice has gone out to all the earth. But there's also a special revelation. And that's where God shows up in miraculous ways. And we see it through scripture. He had prophets. God manifested himself through a burning bush to declare who he was to Moses. God led them by a cloud in the day and fire at night. He parted the water. God, of probably one of the most greatest, sent his own son for us. Special revelation, and the greatest that we have today is he uses this word right here. Let me read to you Hebrews 1 just real quick. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us and his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory, And the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Who having accomplished cleansing for sin sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's it. Special revelations he's given. They have heard the word. Verse 19, the second thing. Well, maybe Israel didn't know. Maybe they didn't understand. No, God gave them everything they needed. He gave them worship. He gave them order of sacrifice. He gave them everything there was. 19 says, but I say, did Israel not know? For Moses says, I'll make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. Referring back to Deuteronomy. What he's saying is, come on guys. These Jews who maybe don't know, God's given them everything. He's referring back, what about the Gentiles that God did not originally choose in to be this line through his blood? He called us all. But he said, there's even Gentiles that understand. I didn't give them my word. I didn't give them these rituals to lead to who I am. I didn't give them all of the religion that we have today. But yet they understood. So he said, throw that out. Say the Jews are responsible. People are responsible for what it is. And let me close here quickly if I can. Verse 21. But as for Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and abstinent people. Abstinent, those who oppose, those who refuse. Picture this. 
What God is saying is all day long, all through history, from eternity past to eternity future, God has always had his loving arms out to everyone. Kind of like a mother, come on. A father, come on. But he said there are people, not me, but there are people who are refusing me. They're refusing the way that I have provided for them. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. Faith cannot be washed into us by immersion, nor sprinkled on us in christening. It is not to be poured into us from a chalice, nor generated in us by a consecrated piece of bread. There is no magic about it. It comes by hearing the word of God, and by that way only. Or this one, those who come to Christ by faith are acknowledging that they have placed themselves entirely and without reserve under his authority to carry out without hesitation whatever he may choose them to do. There is no such thing as salvation apart from lordship. God has made it available. God has made it receivable. But God has put the ball in our court. We have a responsibility. So when we look at the justice of God and we ask that question, is God just in sending people to hell? Well, let's look at two things just very quickly here. God is the judge. So in an aspect, yes, God sends people to hell. But it's because those people have refused him. He says, here it is, it's one of two ways. You can receive me or you can reject me. And as the judge, we see in scripture that God said he told those on his left to depart and those on his right to come in. It's because of our choice, our actions. Do we receive it? As he says, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient, abstinent people. That's what Paul was putting it back in their court. Yes, God chose the Jews. God made the message available to them. He made it receivable to them. He gave them the responsibility. Some received, some didn't. And those who didn't receive, whether they're Jew, Gentile, whatever. If you don't receive Christ, it tells us very plainly that in Scripture, you're going to hell. So when confronted with the question, is God just to send people to hell? It's based upon their decision, but let me put it at you this way. I believe if someone rejected Christ with all of its availability, with all of its receivability, God would not be a just God if he didn't send them to hell. You understand? God said, here's the way. It's black and white. You choose. So in a way, you know, just like the criminal, the criminal does the crime, the judge does the sentencing. 
So yes, God is just God for sending people to hell who have rejected him. Because he said, here's the way and I'm going to make it for you. He would be unjust not to do that. He would be a liar. Because he says, there's one way to me and one way only. So my question today to you. Are you refusing Christ? I'm not talking about walking an aisle. I'm not talking about going to camp. I'm not talking about getting up there in that water and being sloshed all around and make sure it covered you all the way. I'm not talking about anything you could do. But have you, in your heart, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ And when I say believe on him as Lord, exactly how that one put it there. Have you come to him entirely and without reserve under his authority to carry out without hesitation whatever he may choose for you to do? See, it's not about getting a ticket to heaven. Praise the Lord, we get that. But when we come to him as Lord and Savior and we surrender to him, we're coming to him and say whatever you want to do without hesitation. Have you wholeheartedly surrendered to him? If not, today's that day. Today's the day. We're not guaranteed another time. Have you believed in your heart and have you confessed with your mouth? Scripture tells us right here you're not going to be ashamed. You know, it costs them a lot more than it does us today. But have you totally without reserve, surrendered to his lordship. Jesus' arms are open wide for everyone. May you bow your heads. Father, your word is very plain and very clear to us this morning that one must confess with the mouth that your son Jesus is Lord And that, Father, that we believe in our heart and down in who we are in our nature that you have raised him from the dead. Father, we call on you today. Lord, I just pray right now. Father, just ask that you would be ever real in this place at this moment. Father, I know this room is full of Those who have been in church most of their life. Father, there's people in this room, Lord, that have surrendered their life wholeheartedly, unashamedly to you. But Lord, I wonder, is there anyone here today, Father, who has not? Father, there's somewhere here today that knows deep down in that they have never called on you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you'd give them strength today to do that. But Father, I ask, Lord, is there someone here today who came in thinking that you were their Savior 
But Father, through your word being spoken of what it means to confess with the mouth that that's happened on the inside and that the heart, the total man has totally surrendered to you under your lordship, your leadership, saying it's not about them, but it's about you. Father, is there someone here today? Lord, would you speak to them? Father, your arms are still stretched out. Father, your loving arms. Father, I pray once again, Lord, this very moment, that you would allow your calling to fall fresh in this room. Father, would you call them now? We'll give you just a moment before we sing a hymn of invitation, just every head bowed, every eye closed. Go ahead and stand if you would for me. Great foundational message for what we believe. But yet it says that it's God's word that they hear and that God speaks when his word is told. Are you here today? Have you been a church member? Have you done whatever you were told to do? But as the word spoke to you today that you've never truly down in your heart totally surrendered to him. You see, that's what it is. It's not about anything that we do but surrender. We come to Jesus just as we are. He changes us, thank the Lord. The Holy Spirit called had you never surrendered to him. Maybe this message has told you, you know, you surrendered, but you, you kind of brought it back to yourself a little bit lately. Do you need to re-surrender to him? Total control? Resolve to whatever he wants for your life. As we sing this invitation, I just pray that you would come and that you would let the Father speak to you. You would come and let me share with you. Father God, allow your Holy Spirit, Lord, to move in this room now.